Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 112, and today we'll be chatting with Tracy Chu, a software engineer currently contemplating her next adventure. Tracy was most recently working at Pinterest, where she worked on a variety of teams, including the home feed and recommendations team, ad and web teams, API, growth, and much more. Before Pinterest, Tracy also worked at Cora as one of the first engineering hires there. Tracy is well known for her work pushing for diversity in tech. In 2013, she helped kick off the wave of tech companies that began to disclose their data about the diversity within their companies through a GitHub repository. Tracy is now a founding member of Project Include and is focused on driving solutions in the space. She was named Forbes Tech 30 Under 30 in 2014 and has been profiled in Vogue and Wired for her advocacy. Tracy is also an advisor to Homebrew VC and on reserve with the U.S. Digital Service. She joins us to share more about her story, how she got into tech and startups, some of the amazing things she's been able to accomplish as part of Quora and Pinterest, how she's been challenging the status quo and championing for diversity in tech, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at Hack2Start, drop us an email at heyadhack2start.com, or share your feedback in iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. We also love to invite you to check out Fireside Conference this September 9th through 11th. Fireside Conference is an invite-only and off-the-grid retreat with the brightest minds in the Canadian tech, startup, and entrepreneurship community. You can check out the full lineup of amazing speakers and guests at firesideconf.com. That's firesideconf.com or on Twitter at firesideconf. Register and save an extra 25% off with the promo code HACK when registering. Thanks for listening and let's get started. Hey, Tracy. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We're really excited to speak to you today about your background at Pinterest and Cora, as well as the project you're currently working on called Project Include. But before we dive into that, we'd like to get to know a bit more about yourself. Where are you from and what did you study? Sure. I actually um, have a very Silicon Valley story. I grew up in the Bay Area. Both of my parents were software engineers, actually. I went to school at Stanford where I studied electrical engineering and computer science Got to intern at some pretty cool companies in the Valley, including Google and Facebook. After I graduated, I worked as a software engineer uh, at companies like Quora and Pinterest, and I'm currently looking for my next adventure. That's awesome. So how did your passion for tech and entrepreneurship develop? Yeah, a lot of it was just being in the right place at the right time, I think. Uh, I wasn't totally sure what the tech world was really about, even though my parents worked in tech. When I was growing up, the tech industry wasn't sexy. A lot of it was building enterprise software. So it wasn't something that I would get excited about as a kid. I would just go to my parents' office and we would hang out in these fluorescent lit cubicles with cardboard boxes and free AOL CDs in these like office parks. But it wasn't cool the way that tech is cool now. But being at Stanford, I was very lucky, uh, very fortunate. There were so many companies that were just coming to recruit all the time. And so it was very easy to fall into the tech world from there. I wasn't necessarily drawn to entrepreneurship when I was in school, per se. Uh, There wasn't as much fervor around startups when I was at Stanford. But I ended up doing this program called the Mayfield Fellows Program when I was an undergrad. And it was an entrepreneurship work-study program at Stanford that was just a really great dive into startups and the whole ecosystem of Silicon Valley. 
being exposed to it at that level where we're meeting with venture capital firms and meeting with alum mentors who had been through the program or were doing their own companies or working at bigger tech companies um, and then getting to be in this cohort of other students who were trying out different startups really got me excited about being in startups. And so when I graduated, I was deciding between going to a very small company and going to a much bigger company. So I was deciding between Quora, uh, which at the time was four people, and Facebook, which was at that time maybe around 1,500. And after having just gone through the Mayfield Fellows Program, I felt like I should at least give the startup thing a shot. Uh, and once I went that startup route, I got you know even more excited about it. For the first time, I really understood that being in these tech startups and being a software engineer was really about creating new things that didn't exist before. For some reason, I hadn't realized that being an engineer was about building things and that what these startups and tech companies were doing is building new things. Um, but I really understood it when I was at Quora. We were this tiny team in just this one small little rectangular room and trying to make Quora become a thing that people actually used. So you mentioned wanting to work for smaller companies, but you did have the chance to work as a developer with internships at Facebook and Google during school. So what were those experiences like? What advice would you have to share with other students or entrepreneurs looking to choose between big companies or small companies for their careers? One thing that was really useful about my summer internships was that I got to see a little bit of a spread of what was out there. So I'm glad I got to work at Google, which was a larger company at that point. I think it was probably around 10,000 people. Uh, when I interned at Facebook, it was around 600. So I got to see the difference in how those companies would operate. I also did an internship at a startup when I was doing the Mayfield Fellows program. That was only about 30 people. And so to have those experiences that I could compare and contrast was really helpful for me in understanding what would be a better fit for me. So there are some people that will much more enjoy the larger company uh, where they get to be more focused on a smaller you know, space. Um, I really enjoyed being at smaller companies uh, because the scope of what I would work on was just so much wider. And I like being challenged and, and trying out different things in different areas uh, and learning new things all the time. So having those different experiences is really helpful. It's also just really valuable to work at companies um, like Google and Facebook that so many others are aspiring to be like and understanding what it was, what it was like to be in those cultures um, and the ways that people talked about building things, um, sort of attitudes that people would have. Like some of it is a little bit, um, how do I say that? There's, there's some amount of hubris, um, maybe a little bit too much pride in some cases around being the best in the world. But I think sometimes that sort of unshakable confidence uh, is really good for pushing through and breaking through to new things. So just being immersed in that culture was really cool. Um, and it taught me a lot about what the tech world was like. And even though startups are very far from what Facebook and Google were like, even when I interned, I could understand what the aspiration was. So as you mentioned, you joined the team at Core as their fourth employee. Can you tell us a little bit about how you created the opportunity to work there? And what were some of the projects you were a part of on the early days of Cora? I was very lucky to be connected to Cora early on because the early team, those first four were all from Facebook. And so it's just more testament to that power of networking and being in the right place. So I had known them from my internship. And so when the Quora beta went out, I just signed up for it, not even knowing what it was. So I'd been using the product when there were only a couple hundred users on the site. And it was really fun for me to be on Quora and playing around with it. 
there was one day when uh, the Quora team, the four of them were actually on campus at Stanford putting up flyers for recruiting. And since I was a student there, uh, I just happened to run into them as they were wandering through the halls of the computer science building. So I reconnected with them. And I think they they knew that I had been using their product. Um, so we were in touch. I ended up going to visit their office, which was in downtown Palo Alto, just down the street from Stanford. So a lot of it was really just being in that right place at the right time. When I got to Quora, because it was so small, we were all working on a lot of different projects, um, like one after the another. I started off on reworking the home feed. So the earliest version of the home feed for Quora was just a chronological, uh, the most recent questions and, and answers and topics, but I converted it to being more of an algorithmic one. Uh, I worked on search for a little bit, and that was partly um, making the service more robust, but also increasing the recall and the quality um, and search relevance. I also worked on moderation tools, so using some machine learning for that. Uh, one of the projects that was the coolest that I worked on at Quora was building the weekly digest. That was also really fun because there's really very little guidance that I was given. Uh, it was, we want to build an email that will get people to come back to Quora, remember it, and engage more with the site, a very common growth tactic, but I didn't get much more instruction than that, build a weekly email. And so I got to survey some of the weekly emails that were out there for other sites and think about what I wanted to build. It could have been much more like human editorial or totally algorithmic and I ended up going mostly algorithmic but with a little bit of human curation in there and it was fun to define the product and then build it from end to end um, everything from coding up the emails uh, the actual email templates to the email delivery infrastructure and spinning up machines every week to start batch sending emails uh, so that was really fun but really because Quora was so small when I was there all of us as engineers were just jumping around and working on a lot of different things in addition to the engineering at Quora, I also worked a little bit on community moderation. We didn't have any community managers when I was there. And so it was also a very interesting experience to go into the community and have to do things like diffuse arguments between users uh, who were at each other's throats about some political uh, debates um, and understanding that we were building a product for people and people you know, will get mad at each other or have conflicts that need to be resolved. So it taught me a lot more about the human element to what we were building. Uh, and of course, recruiting, um, because at that scale, we we're all try just trying really hard to hire more people. I love how things like this just work out sometimes. It's so cool how meeting just a few people can lead to opportunities like this. So you were then and most recently part of the team at Pinterest. Can you tell us a bit more about how you created the opportunity to join their team? Yeah. And again, with Pinterest, it was a lot of being in the right place um, and being connected to the right people. So I met Ben, who is founder and CEO at Pinterest, at some barbecues that were in Palo Alto, just kind of like those startup circles. Uh, back then, there were a lot of different startups in Palo Alto, and people would just hang out, get to know each other. And so I was just chatting with Ben at some event, uh, and he was telling me about Pinterest. I was using the product already, but when he was telling me about how they worked and kind of their potential. It was very exciting for me. And so I got to know that team a little bit better. It was convenient because the Pinterest office was just two blocks down from the Quora office. So I got to know them pretty casually um, over things like lunch at the Pinterest office uh, and then ended up just joining because it, it was just so exciting to me. It was also obviously very fortuitous that I was there and happened to be connected to them. Yeah, that's awesome. So can you tell us a bit more about some of the projects you were working on while at Pinterest? 
Yeah. Again, it was uh, one of those things where because the team was so small when I joined, there were five of us on the main code base. Then we all worked on a lot of different things and and jumped around from project to project. Uh, at that point, the number of engineers per project was always one or less than one. You never have more than one person working on any given project at, at any point in time. Uh, but when I first started, it was really just scaling, uh, keeping the site up. So my first big project at Pinterest was just to refactor the whole code base and make it so that more engineers could join the team and we could work effectively um, without getting in each other's way. At the point that I joined, we didn't have anything around testing. Um, our deploy scripts were very, very basic. We didn't have any monitoring. So a lot of it early on was just getting our code base to a point that we could actually scale up the engineering and scale up the team that was working on it. So a lot of infrastructure work as well. Um, I worked on the API for a bit. So Pinterest was one of these companies that was founded in an era where it was still very much web first. And then we attacked on an API to support the iPhone app. Um, so starting to clean up those different code paths and making the company a little more API and mobile focused. I worked on email again at Pinterest. So I built uh, a lot of the basic notification emails, but also the weekly email at Pinterest. Um, I worked on feed quality. So I got to use some more machine learning to clean up the quality of things that people would be browsing. I worked on growth, um, you know, kind of like the lifeline of any consumer company. And so uh, some of that was changing up the new user experience um, and those uh, new user flows, but also building email and A-B testing infrastructure to support more iteration on growth. I was on the web team for a while um, and we were rewriting the whole site. Pretty standard for engineering teams to rewrite things every one to two years. But some of the, the rewrite was to be a little bit more API focused and so that we would treat the website as a client of the API, just like the iOS and Android apps. Um, so that would enable us as an engineering team to really double down on the API and make that better for all platforms at the same time. Uh, I worked on the mobile website and then after that, I was a tech lead on the ads team. So I got to help build the first ads products for Pinterest. And also kind of like the free part of that, the analytics tools, um, which would be helpful for advertisers or potential advertisers. Um, and then the last engineering team I was on was the home feed team. So that was working on increasing engagement um, of users with the home feed. So yeah, I really ran the whole gamut in terms of uh, parts of the product and engineering stack when I was at Pinterest. Yeah, it's so cool to hear you talk about all those different aspects of, you know, building a startup, building product, jumping from one project to another. So given all of your experience doing that through Pinterest and, and Cora, you know, what advice would you have to share with other founders or people who are joining these young startups who need to manage all these different challenges like hiring, growth and product? You know, like how do you begin to approach that type of challenge? Yeah, that's a really challenging question. I think the, the biggest thing is having the right mindset around ownership and being committed to getting things done, whatever it takes. Um, so in the engineering microcosm, that was really like being willing to work on any part of the stack and pick up any skills that were necessary. But at more of the company level means that an engineer might have to work on things like community management or, or recruiting. And so there really is that dispersion of responsibilities across the whole team, but at the same time, everybody has to feel the sense of ownership in getting things done. Um, and so I think that motivation is really important. And I could see the changes uh, as Pinterest grew, especially. So it was about 10 people when I joined and it was about a thousand when I left. That sort of progression, you do see the types of people that are coming into the company change. As the company gets larger, the types of people that are drawn to that kind of environment 
tend to be a little more focused on a smaller part of the company or the product or the stack and um, the amount of ownership and the willingness to like be outside of what their normal job description is will go down. And you kind of need that um, at a certain skill. You don't want you know, a random engineer poking into different parts of the company uh, where they shouldn't be necessarily. But there is that change that will happen as the company grows. Early on, it is really just like get, get things done and, and have that very open attitude. So you talked a lot about obviously all the different things that you've done on, on different teams. And, and obviously, you know, I'm sure your day to day has changed quite a bit since you first got started. But what was like a typical day like for you as a software engineer? And what were some of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome in the industry? Day to day of a software engineer, I think is pretty standard. It's a mix of figuring out what to do and making sure that what you're trying to do is the right thing to do. And some of that is working with design and product management, other parts of the company and other, those other functions. Um, and then once you know what you want to do, designing the solutions, which are sometimes broader in terms of like systems architecture, and then sometimes more in the code and code abstractions, uh, figuring out what other resources are available in the company or the other teams have built or that's available open source. And then there's actually writing code, which is my favorite part, uh, reviewing code, working with teammates to go over what they're working on and learning from each other in that way. One of the biggest learnings to me going into industry, which in, in hindsight should have been obvious, but wasn't, is that software engineering is a team activity. So in school, you're taking computer science classes and working on projects, it's all very individual. Uh, but writing software in a company especially one that has hundreds or thousands of engineers, is very much a team sport. And a lot of writing code is thinking about who is going to be reading this code and working with it after I write it. Uh, and so even though code is instructions for computers and it has to be correct instructions for computers, a lot of it is also stylistic and creative and it's about communicating with other developers. It's kind of a fun challenge to have that very precise part of it and very scientific part of making sure that everything is exactly right and you've written down exactly the right algorithms and um, handling all the different cases you're trying to handle with the code, but then also the very creative and collaborative elements of it. In terms of challenges I've had to overcome, a lot of it was around being female, actually. And it was something that wasn't as obvious to me when I started working, but there were just a lot of um, slight differences in the ways that people would perceive me or view my potential or my work. And in the beginning, I thought that perhaps I just wasn't as good as my peers. Even though I really enjoyed coding, I thought maybe I just wasn't cut out for tech, wasn't cut out for the software industry. And it took me some time to realize that I was actually doing fine. I was doing really well, actually, but it was a lot of this bias from other people in industry or on my teams that was working against me. Uh, and I had to work through a lot of like personal confidence issues when I was being told so repeatedly that I didn't really belong there. Uh, I, I would have people constantly asking me why I wasn't a product manager or people would ask or they would assume that I worked in some other non-technical functions, which there's nothing wrong with. I think those other functions are very important, but to be questioned on a weekly basis about why I was in the role I was in uh, caused me to doubt what I was doing as well. Um, so there was a lot of just coming to terms with this more institutional bias when I thought originally that it was just me. Um, and then starting to build those connections with other people across industry and understanding kind of systemically what was going on. 
Wow, that's pretty crazy. I, I can't imagine having to overcome that kind of uh, criticism just to do your own, your, your daily job. <laughs> so on that note, you know, you've gone on to help launch Project Include. So can you tell us a bit more about this project and what really motivated you to help make it a reality? Yeah, Project Include is a group effort by eight of us, women in tech, spanning a lot of different experiences and roles in industry, trying to drive solutions around diversity and inclusion. And we're focusing on startups and specifically uh, leadership in these startups. We noticed that there was a lot of discussion around the problems and there's certainly a lot of awareness around the lack of diversity in tech, but we wanted to start providing some guidance around solutions and how to think about them. So we have a few very core values to Project Include. One is around true inclusion and intersectionality and this idea that people have intersecting identity classes. And it's not just around gender, although oftentimes the conversation around diversity turns to hiring more women. There's a lot more than just hiring more women. We're also looking at underrepresented minorities and people of different ages and family backgrounds and socioeconomic status and, and so many other forms of diversity. And also those things intersect. And so it's very different being uh, a white woman or an Asian woman versus being a black woman or a Latina woman in tech. Um, so one of our first core values is around that inclusion, intersectionality, and thinking about what diversity and inclusion really means from that angle. A second really core value is that all this has to be very comprehensive. It's not around easy, quick fixes. Uh, there are no silver bullets. And there has to be a really comprehensive framework for trying to solve these problems. Uh, in the same way that companies wouldn't look for one thing that they can do to get the culture right, there isn't just one thing they can do to get diversity and inclusion right. So we want to provide this framework for thinking about diversity and inclusion. And the third core value we have is around metrics and accountability. And so a lot of this actually goes to the ways that businesses operate and in particular how tech companies operate, which is around metrics and data. And it's very buzzwordy to say how data-driven the industry is, but it's true. We have metrics for everything. We have dashboards for everything. And that's how we measure our progress and also A-B tests and try out different things and learn what new strategies might work or not. Uh, in the absence of data metrics, there's also no accountability. And so it's very important for us at Project Include to be pushing on that angle of tracking progress um, and keeping people accountable to that. Wow, that's incredible. I love I love that mission and the vision for this. And I know it might be a little, uh, a little early and a little soon, but what have been some of the outcomes so far or success stories or, or just even proud moments about being involved and, and seeing Project Include kind of make it this far? Yeah, it's still very early for Project Include. We just launched a couple of months ago and our launch was really just putting out our website of recommendations. But we're already thinking ahead to how we could start to program programmatically put some of these recommendations into place. And so we put up a sign-up form um, to kind of gather that interest. And I think we had over a thousand uh, applications or people writing in to say they were interested in taking Project Include recommendations and putting them into practice. Um, so that was very cool just to see that interest from the community. And we're working now on a couple of programs. One is Startup Include and one is VC Include. And with Startup Include, we have a cohort of about 10 companies that we're working with to put some of these recommendations into practice. Um, this cohort can also share their tips and tricks and what they're learning as they try to implement these solutions. So they have a, a resource group amongst themselves. And a Project Include is also working with these companies pretty closely. Uh, first, to, to track some of the metrics and, and have more of a standardized form for measuring, and then also just working with them as they're implementing. Um, VC Include is working with VC firms uh, to track their metrics and also encourage them to share out project include recommendations with their portfolio companies. 
And I think one of, one of the most rewarding things about Project Include so far has just been for the eight of us that have been on it, this really cool opportunity to work with other women in tech. Um, it's pretty rare, I think, for any of us to, to be on an all-female team. And the community that we've built amongst ourselves has been a really amazing one and very special, not just professionally, but also personally, to have that sort of support from the eight of us in the network. Wow, that's really cool. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the impact of Project Include will be, you know, in the years to come within the tech space. I, I know it's going to have, you know, a massive impact. Yeah, we really hope that we can help to drive that progress faster. So on that note, what have been some of the most memorable milestones in your career so far and, and why? I'm going to cheat a little bit on your question and give you two milestones. Um, so one, one on the sort of diversity and inclusion front uh, it wasn't so momentous at the time, but back in 2013, I published a Medium post about diversity, data, transparency, and it was titled, Where Are the Numbers? And asking just, where were the numbers around diversity uh, in such a data-driven industry? And I also set up a GitHub repository alongside that to crowdsource data. At that time, it didn't feel like such a big deal. It was just writing a post and then hoping that people would respond to it. Uh, but that ended up kicking off a wave of diversity data disclosures across all of industry. Uh, Google was the first big company to release a very holistic diversity data report in 2014. And once Google did their report, all the other companies followed. And that data transparency really helped to elevate the conversation around diversity and inclusion. That was, the, I guess, one of the, the bigger milestones for me. And then um, on the engineering front, one of the biggest milestones in my career was launching the ads product at Pinterest. So we had an amazing team that we were working with just to really hustle and get that product out there. We built the first version of ads.pinterest.com in about two months. Um, we were really proud of what we were able to put together, especially um, executing that quickly. And as much as startups in Silicon Valley can sometimes be all consumed by just launching products and thinking about growth and user experience, uh, but not monetization or business models, Ultimately, these companies are all trying to become real businesses. And so it was very cool to help hit that milestone for Pinterest where we're actually starting to monetize and, and build out the business. Wow. Those are some pretty impressive moments for sure. I can't believe that you and your team managed to ship a full ad platform in only two months. So a bit on a different note, what are some of the most recent apps that you've downloaded lately? A couple of new ones that I've been trying out. One is a company, which is like an AI chief of staff. Uh, they'll look at your calendar and pull up useful information about people that you're going to meet. I've actually found it to be really useful uh, for getting briefed on people before meetings. Um, even for the people that I know about, a company is pretty good at pulling out any news that is about them or anything they've written recently and their Twitter streams and all that. So it makes me feel like I'm going into meetings more prepared. And then another one that I'm trying, uh, it's not so much a new app, but it's called Calm and it's for meditation. Uh, so I recently read this book called Search Inside Yourself, and it's by Google's jolly good fellow, uh, Chade Mangtan. He's been at Google for a long time and um, a more recent focus for him has really been trying to make people more mindful and happy. And so he wrote this book about meditation. Um, and so I just read that and wanted to give meditation mindfulness a shot. So I've been using this app Calm, uh, which has a few you know, different sessions that I can tap into for that. Those are some great recommendations. So do you have any other thoughts on content that you've come across lately, either books, video, or blog posts? I have a couple of things recently that I found really fascinating. One is actually um, a podcast, or there's uh, three episodes in a podcast called Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell. And it's a series on education and the capitalization of talent, the idea 
of um, people from different backgrounds actually being able to succeed and capitalize on that talent. Um, and there's the interplay of different colleges and universities and how they spend their money. Um, for example, on gourmet dining food versus tuition assistance. Uh, it is pretty funny. In, in one of the episodes, they start talking about the quality of the food at um, some of these schools. And uh, some of them are really fancy gourmet. They talk about the fresh rosemary and trying out really exotic cuisines versus you know pretty standard cafeteria food. And w- when Malcolm Gladwell starts talking about this, you're not totally sure where he's going about the food. But then he explains that link to uh, how much tuition assistance they're able to give to people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, the, the Pell Grant scholars. Um, so all this stuff is tangled together. And he also touches on theories of whether society is stronger by improving the weakest link or accelerating the people who are already exceptional. So do you invest in more community or local colleges or do you invest in schools like Stanford and Harvard? And so I found that to be a really interesting commentary on society um, and our current educational system. One book that I've read recently that I found really interesting uh, is called A General Theory of Love. I'm not totally sure of all the science behind it. I was reading some of the Amazon reviews and there seemed to have been some later debunkings of parts of the science. Um, but the book talks about how the brain works. And so there are three parts of the brain. The reptile brain is the first. Second is the limbic brain, which is responsible for emotion. The third is the rational brain or the neocortex where cognition happens. I just found it a really interesting framework for understanding how we operate mentally. We spend so much time in cognition and thinking about things. We like to think that we are purely rational creatures and we can reason our way in or out of anything. Um, but there's so much more to it than that. Another really interesting idea from that book that kind of ties into the limbic part and the, the emotional part is that as individual human beings, we're not closed loop systems. Um, we like to think that we function on our own independently and we're self-regulating, uh, but we actually do heavily rely on the cues of people around us. And some of that is emotional, but actually uh, some of it is even physiological. Uh, and so they did some studies with babies that needed their mothers nearby to help them modulate their breathing and heart rate. Uh, so it's just a really fascinating book about humans and how we function. It actually paired kind of nicely um, with that book I, I mentioned around meditation called Search Inside Yourself. I'm just thinking about how the brain functions um, and, and how things like being mindful of how we operate can have really good payouts and like how we choose to live our lives. Awesome. Yeah, those are all great. We'll make sure we link to them so other people can check it out. So do you have any last thoughts or personal mottos that you live by and you think others should know about? So I have one recent personal motto, which is a little bit tongue in cheek, but also very real. Um, And it's, Lord, give me the confidence of a mediocre white man. (laughs) Awesome. And I've had to tell myself this quite a few times when I'm thinking about projects I want to work on that are really ambitious um, or events I want to go to that feel really exclusive and I don't feel like I belong. And just to remind myself, like, there are many mediocre white men that would just be all over this opportunity and they don't care about how prepared they are or not or how exclusive this thing is. Like, they're just going to go for it. And so I had to remind myself to to just go for it. and have that confidence. <laughs> That's an awesome saying. I love it. And as an average white man, I think it's, you know, unfortunately very true and, and tongue in cheek, as you said, but I, I think I need to write that down or something. It's amazing. Tracy, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show and, and to share your story and thoughts with us. Really loved having you on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. 
Remember to check out Fireside Conference this September 9th through 11th. It's an invite-only and off-the-grid retreat with some of the brightest minds in Canadian tech, startup, and entrepreneurship communities. You can see the full lineup of amazing speakers and guests at firesideconf.com. That's firesideconf.com. Use the promo code HACK when registering to save an extra 25%. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do it without your awesome support, so please leave us a review on iTunes. Until next week, and we hope you enjoy the show.